Wow. Arkansas? Wow. The 25th state. I wouldn't even have thought. Cause I'm smarter than a fifth grader. <laughs> <laughs> well, you took Arkansas state history when you were growing up. I took Wisconsin state history. Wisconsin state history. And that's... Or Florida state history. It involved cheese, I bet. Okay, were you in Wisconsin at the time? <laughs> yeah. I was hoping so. And that's how we start this episode of You Can Ask That. <laughs> the show where you can ask that. And the question that I asked Aaron was, did you take Wisconsin history in Wisconsin? Assuming that he didn't for some reason. I guess it's been a long day for me. Uh, thanks, guys, so much for joining us. I'm Drew Brent. I'm joined by our panel, as always, Pastor Eddie Schaefer, Aaron Carlisle, and Amy Smith, LAC. I didn't bring Yeah, you, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> hey. hey. Somebody's feeling it today. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Uh, the... and that. Um, <laughs> I like that, man. I like that. Get a little yeah, hype up in here. Get a little hype up in here. Never mind. I was uh, no. I've got never mind. I was gonna throw. I was gonna play the song. I was gonna play the song. <laughs> but I was like, no, we 100 percent can't play that song right no, now. No, we don't want to play that song for more than one reason. By the way, for more than one reason, uh, mainly the fact that I don't want to have to pay for it. Yeah, copyright. So, yeah, it's really copyright more than anything else. Uh, today we are discussing a, a topic uh, more so than just a question. We had a series of questions asked about. Uh, the, the war in our mind, which kind of coincides with the, the, the sermon series we've been speaking on at church or at uh, what Pastor Eddie's been talking about, and the, the conflict that wages in our mind, that, that rages as we try to find and take captive our thoughts. And Eddie, I just kind of want you to introduce this because you've had uh, several, several conversations about this over the last week. Yeah, uh, there's been a bunch of great conversations, great questions um, from from people, both believers and and, and non-believers. You know, it, it, the the battles that we kind of fight in our minds, who we are versus who we think we are versus who we want to be. How do I become and step into this thing that I believe I'm supposed to be when I've got these struggles and these things that go on in my mind? I want to be good. I want to be right. I don't want to be angry. And yet I've got all of these things that happen. Um, and, and for a lot of us, there's just a lot of battles that rage in our mind and we find ourselves conflicted. We find ourselves, uh, even going against our own, our own thoughts and our own, uh, desires. And, and there's just, a, for a lot of us, there's a lot of battles and feels like a war that's going on upstairs. So what's the biggest war? If, if we had to nail it down right now, the, the thing that I think we all fight the most, and Amy, you may be more qualified to talk about this than anyone, anyone as you work with people and, and work with clients when they say, hey, this is the this is the thing I'm struggling with. What what seems to be the most prominent, most prevalent? Um, I think definitely fear is a root of most things because um, we all want security. And um, another big thing is, am I okay? So self-worth and those topics come up a lot. Can you elaborate on, am I okay? Um, I think we look for things outside of us to affirm that we're okay. And it's hard for us to um, do that work ourselves and, and arrive there ourselves. So I think that using like relationships is kind of a lazy way to say, oh, I'm okay, um, instead of getting that from inside yourself. So it's a it's an affirmation almost yeah. kind of a thing. Uh, so so as we let's just kind of open up the the floor there affirmation as it pertains to one of our biggest struggles is just you know am I worth enough am I enough and the enemy saying hey you're not enough the lie that we believe in our mind that we're not enough where does that really start it could be a myriad of things right yeah I mean I think um, our culture like 
the way we've grown up and what we've been told and what we've learned um, says a lot. We, we learn things from our parents about who we are and um, what we're supposed to be. So I think there's a lot of pressure in conformity and things like that. Eddie, what do you think about that? Well, I think I think the understanding of who we are, I think, I think is true. There's, there's some of it that comes from our families. Some of it comes through our experiences. You know, I know a lot of families who want their kids to be something different than what their kids are becoming because of their experiences or because of pressure and outside pressure and even school systems. You know, I know there's a lot of political debate right now of who gets to have certain conversations with kids based on, you know, because of what influences they want that kind of push them in directions. And, the, and so I think we're all pushed in directions um, as we grow up and as we experience and as we have encounters with other people. And sometimes people unintentionally push us in directions. Sometimes, you know, seeds are sown into our minds. And so even though it was never something someone intended, for whatever reason, that thought or that idea landed inside of my brain and it stuck. And so now I'm walking through life with this seed that, that now is producing a harvest and it may not have even been something that someone intended for me. It was just this thing that somehow landed in my mind and stuck. And now I'm dealing with all of the ramifications of, of battling that versus what I want to be true or what I want to believe or what I want to think of myself or, or be my reality. We should also point out, too, that I think the war in your mind can be a little bit different among uh, different age brackets. But I also think that it's really... While it's different, it's also the same. It's the same root, different cause. So the older generation is probably not worried about how many likes they get on social media, whereas a lot of fear and am I okay may be coming from the younger generation and that side of things. So it's important to note that while this can be a generational conversation and that a lot of friction and tension may come from that, the root is pretty much always the same. The question of am I enough? Am I worth it? Am I worthy? You, you've been a pastor for a long time. Mm -hmm. How many conversations do you think you've had over the course of, you know, the few years you've been doing this that, that stem from I'm hearing a voice in my head that says I'm not enough? Man, honestly, more, more, than, more than I can count, you know. And, and it's, it's am I enough to to my spouse am i enough to my kids you know I, one of the one of the biggest places that i see the am i enough is is you know i think mom guilt is a very very real thing like there's this this pressure of was i enough was i good enough i think i think even a lot of men as fathers look back and say man was i enough was i good enough and then and then when you bring into it with god was i good enough god did i do enough am i enough you know it, there's this there's this huge weight um I think as we look in the mirror, when, when, when we evaluate that there's these voices of am I enough to a lot of the people in our lives, and, and I think I deal with a lot of people, you know, I, I couldn't count the number of conversations that that may be a root or, or you know, an underlying uh, reason that people are struggling mentally with things that they are. When we talk about fear, Amy, um, what are we most afraid of, generally speaking, you when you're dealing with clients hmm. oh, there's just so there's a wide range of fear I would say um, I 
just a general sense of security, maybe more than anything. Like, um, that was my fault. That was my head to the microphone. I'm keeping it in. I am not editing that out. <laughs> I mean, you, okay, so let's put it in a context. I think that's why I'm having a hard time with this question. Um, in a marriage, you want security that your heart is safe with that person because um, you're taking a risk by being vulnerable. So anytime you're vulnerable in a relationship, um, uh, in, a, in a job, like anything that you do, you're taking a risk, right? And which consequently, the higher your self-worth is, the more likely you are to take risks. So if you have a low sense of self-worth, um, you have nothing to lose. So you're not going to risk more. Um. So so let's 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 use that as a jumping off point. We'll call it, we'll kind of go around the table here, uh, and and so for a point of vulnerability for everybody, guys. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? I'll start. I have two major fears in my life. Uh, I'm ashamed of one of them, but I will share it for the sake of the podcast. Uh, my number one fear in life is is mice. <laughs> nice. I'm absolutely mice. Terrified of mice. I I can't I can't be in the house if there's they're, one they're there. They're awful. They're I, awful. I can't deal with it. I don't like it. And the second one, the second one, you will call me a liar to my face, but it's 100 percent true. Is public speaking. No kidding. I am terrified of it. Well, go figure. I'm mine is exposure, and right now in this moment, that the thing I'm most afraid of would be exposed. So, Amy. <laughs> Aaron. <laughs> no, that's it. That's it. Um, you know, when, when you walk around and you want an air of confidence, the notion that be you'll be exposed um, for whatever that might be, um, that's that's the big fear. Mm. And I've been building this wall since I was 19 years old, and the idea that somebody would climb over it, through it, around it, or under it, and see on the other side of it is scary. Oh, I can 100% relate to that. Nope, you went with mice. <laughs> Well, it's number three. <laughs> Just getting back to the the whole, the whole fear. There's so many images out there of what the perfect person is supposed to be today. So yeah. when you went to age, I was right there with you. I thought I think as the older you get, probably you move beyond that. And I cannot imagine being young today and going through puberty again and seeing all these images of who I'm not, but I'm supposed to be mm-hmm. that have been glamorized. And then when when you went to that people talking about their self-worth, per se, yeah. or, th- or they're afraid of that. Um, I had a group of men the other day, and we asked the question. We were talking about what's, what lie did you listen to years ago that you still believe today? You know, what's that stronghold? Yeah. Um, you would say, Eddie. And uh, the common denominator was everyone basically said, I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not a good enough leader. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I failed in a job or something of that nature. Just things like that. And what struck me was, Think about how that manifests itself later, because if that's what you believe, if you believe I'm not enough, now you are going to be afraid when you walk into a relationship. Now you are going to be afraid when you walk into a job interview. Now you are going to be afraid when you have this opportunity right there. Do I grab it or not? My root says, I'm not enough. So you're going to have that fear. And, and, and so, so let's, go, let's go to that. You know, I can relate to almost every single one of those, and I think most people probably can. You know, the I'm not enough, I heard, and, it, and it came from somewhere. When you were talking to those guys and they all said, hey, I'm not enough, I wasn't enough, I didn't do this thing, is that mine? Is that my phone? Did Am I doing that? Nope, Angel not me. Not me. Hmm? And Angel just got its wings. I think it's Amy Smith LAC. <laughs> I, think, I think it's her phone. 
Um, so, um, wait, wait, where where did that start for these guys? Is that a childhood thing? Is it something that they've always believed? I mean, where where does it start generally? So, in the Christian world, I have a theory. Um, I feel like it's a there's kind of a um, a catch twenty two in the way that we describe um, how to be a Christian and how things are said. And you guys feel free to disagree with me. I'm just kind of speaking for what I've seen in my office. You can say that on you can ask that. Okay. Um, (laughs) So we're told that Jesus died for us and that we're forgiven and that we're not perfect. And that's why he came. But then at the same time, and not so much, obviously, I feel like there are churches that get this right pretty well, but there are other churches that just do a terrible job. Um, we shame people for not getting it right. We'll say, okay, you can't be in leadership. now. you got to step down. Um, you've got to, um, I don't know, you can't be a part of the church anymore. I mean, it gets to that point with some sins uh, or whatever. But so we're, so we're, it's a mixed message. And also, if you think about some of the worship songs we sing, we're singing out, I'm such a horrible, wretched person. I'm so glad that I have you to save me. You know, and so I feel like not, and I understand that the intent behind it, but I mean, we're actually saying we're worthless and, you know, I don't know. It just, it, it, it mixes people yeah, up, I think. That's, a, and that's interesting because there is that conversation where, where, you know, John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world. He's, he, I mean, so who is the world? Well, everyone who's ever existed and we will we will admit that we are sinners and we will admit that we're not we're not enough and that we're not worthy and yet God thought us valuable enough to send his son to die but then at the same time we are still worthy of death so there is like that that is that strange kind of dichotomy of thank God God thought we were worth something but we had better make sure we believe that we are not worth anything and then that can stick in your mind of well I'm trashed thank God that, that, that Jesus was here because, you know, I'm still trash. But for some people, they leave off the second part of that, and they just say, well, I'm trash, and that's it. So I, I do understand where you where you come from. That is a strange dichotomy for me. I do think. I, th- I think, too, I think sometimes churches do reinforce. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's where it starts. Um, I think sometimes it probably does, but I think most times there are seeds that are planted in childhood that, you know, that, that bear fruit. And I think that's why... You know, the, the, there's this thing that, that was said in Scripture that I think we overlook and we don't think about enough. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And, and the problem is we don't see that death or that life usually instantly. It takes time to manifest itself in people's lives. And so, man, if you've been, if you've been married for several years and you don't like who your spouse is becoming, it's probably because of the words you're speaking over them, right? Because eventually people become who we tell them that they'll be. And, and so these seeds happen when we're young and they start to bear this fruit and then you get into places and then it's like, man, you're not this, you're not that, you're not this. And now all of a sudden that becomes my confession. I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not this. And the more I hear it, the more I believe it, especially when it's my own voice speaking it. And and so I think there are some places in that where where you got to understand the balance of of recognizing a failure versus I'm a failure, recognizing a struggle versus I'm bad because I struggle. And and the beautiful thing that, that I think we miss, and I love what you said, Drew, was, you know, we recognize what we 
messed up in, but that doesn't change our value. And just because my child has an area of their life that they struggle, it doesn't make that child bad, dirty, evil, wicked. And when God sees us, that's not what he sees. He doesn't see a wickedness. He saw someone that was worth giving his life for. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people miss what you just said around we're, we're becoming what we're being, what's spoken into us. How many times I've heard a parent say things like, um, you're always leaving a mess. You're always walking in late. Um, you're always failing these classes. Um, you're always, right? And then they wonder why their kids turn out, always leaving messes, always walking in late, right? They're, if you tell me something and I believe it, like I like to be right. We've talked about this before. I like to be right. You uh-huh. like to be right. You yeah. like to be right. We all like to be right. And so the moment we t- someone tells us, you never talk to me. You always talk over me or whatever that might be. As soon as I accept it and believe it, my mind wants to prove myself right. So now I'm going to that that behavior will manifest itself in the things that I'm doing. And rather than becoming who you who you're trying to talk me out of, I'm becoming who you're speaking into me. Exactly what you just said. And to ask answer your question where it starts, I think Freud said it starts with our moms, but I think what he meant was it starts <laughs> when we're children, right? It starts when we're young. We start becoming these people. We think that we're unique. At, like, we're all told that we're unique, we're different. But here's where we're not. We're, we're all bad people. We really are. Like, we've all done the same. Whatever that thing is that you did that shamed you, that you're afraid of being exposed, here's the, here's the deal. There's a million other people out there that did the exact same thing. And Satan tells us, keep it quiet. It's just you. You're the only one that messed up. It's just you. There, there's also a very dangerous word that I'm about to get. Uh, I can already hear people yelling at the radios when I when I say this. The word identify is very problematic in in this context a lot of times because we associate identity a lot of times with our actions or preferences, and that's not at all what that word means. But what we have done is we say, well, this is what I identify as or this is who I identify with. And so if I take a behavior and I say that I identify with that, then what my action has become is my identity. And that's not true. And perhaps I didn't say that well, uh, but I just thought it was something to to point out that, you know, that the identity of a person is is the character and the motive behind what it is that they do as opposed to what it is that they actually do. So if I sin, do I'm, am I a bad person? That's, a, that's, a, that's probably the root of the question. Am I an inherently bad person? Well, Scripture says, well, yeah, we were all sinners. We were born so. But does that change my value even? No, it doesn't change your value. The, the thing that I would push back on, though, and, and I've, heard, I've, heard, I've heard you guys say this twice, because and, and, I think it's a big deal, I'm a bad person. I don't think you're bad people. I think you're people. And people are flawed in that we've made mistakes. And the truth is, are there bad people and good people? No, there are people. And they were all created in the image of God. And they are all beautifully designed. And some of them are horribly broken. And broken people do broken things. And that doesn't make them a bad person. It makes them a broken person. If a window is broken... And so it doesn't keep cold out anymore, or it doesn't keep heat out anymore. It's not that it's a bad window. It's just that it's a broken window. And so it can't function as it was supposed to. It cuts people. It hurts people. Why? Because of its brokenness. Now, are there people that are broken beyond repair? Well, Jesus didn't think so. 
or he would have said, I came to die everyone for everyone who was only broken a little. Now, are there people that, that need to be put aside in separate places? I don't know. Let's call them prisons. Wow. There's a, a system to deal with the brokenness. Yeah, I think there's a place that people who are so broken that they hurt people to, to, to extreme degrees, there's a way that we need to keep them separate from society. But, but the reality is they're not worse than me. They just did different broken things than I've done because of the brokenness and the way they responded to it in their life. So, so I, and, I, and I hope that's clear because I don't want people to misunderstand. I just, I think people are just people. They're not good. They're not bad. They're people. And we do good things and we do bad things, but we're still the same thing. We were always created in the image of God to be like him. And that's who we are. I think um, I love what you just said, like love it. Um, I, I even go as far as to not use bad and good because I feel like we identify with those words too much. And so I, I, with my clients, I'll say useful or not useful. You know, is this behavior useful or not useful instead of good or bad? And it takes the shame away from it. And they can kind of see, okay, this is where it's hurting me. This is where it's going to help me. Yeah. Um, and even the word sinner, I mean, that's identifying you with sin. Like you are a sinner. It's no, I'm a, I'm a person and I sinned or I did something not useful. Yeah, but here's the question. From a scriptural standpoint, are we not sinners? Well, yes, we are. Jesus yes. knew the world was broken. He said we, more importantly, he said we have to transform by the renewing of our mind, right? Minds, which is what we're talking about tonight is how do we begin to shift yeah, our we're get to that. minds? Because even Jesus knew, I, you, you've got to transform your mind. We have, to, we have to stop the way you're thinking or transform the way you're thinking and renew your mind and change some of these thoughts. Yeah, I, I think the problem is, the problem is we are sinners, but we have somehow shifted that to make it a dirty word. Yes. It's like it's like being a sinner is a dirty word. Oh, that's a dirty, you know, and, and the truth is being a sinner, sinning just means missing the mark. It means I didn't hit what I was aiming for. I was trying to be that. And I'm not that. And the truth is, once you've missed the mark once, you are a sinner. You missed the original mark. Now, that doesn't mean there's not going to be additional marks that you that you nail every single time. But the fact that I'm a sinner, yeah, man, I'm a sinner. I missed the mark on several things in my life. Um, I missed the mark sometimes relationally. I missed the mark with one of my kids this week. Uh, I missed the mark on on some things I wanted to accomplish today. Um, now, now sinning means that, that that there was something where I missed the mark that God asked me to be or do in a way that I loved and, and showed love to the people around me. So I am a sinner. The problem sometimes with using that word isn't the word; it's how people identify with that word and what it means for them. And so when when it became a when it when it became the meaning of I'm a sinner, which means I'm bad, I'm a failure, I'm a I'm I'm worthless. If that's how someone receives that word, then me saying, Hey, you're a sinner, what it communicates to them may not be what I'm intending for it to. So I can say, you know what, Ed, you're a sinner. Hey man, you missed the mark a few times. And not and recognize that doesn't change my value, it doesn't change my worth, it doesn't change who God says I am. But one of the things that the church has communicated poorly, and I think there's a reason that people think the way they do, is because we took that word, you're a sinner, and we, we put it with this negative, horrid context. And because you're a sinner, it disqualifies you from, and now you have to go stand over here, and now you don't get to stand over here. 
And 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 so I think we are sinners, and there's a reason that a lot of people feel very negative and associate with the word because we've taken it to mean something I don't think it, it actually means. I think, too, I feel like the church has created hierarchy with sin as well. When yeah, I mean, even Jesus, I mean, they said that there's no sin greater than another, and so we've created these, like, deep, dark sins sure. that you don't tell anybody <laughs> sure. about. Oh, hold know? on, hold on. you got to use that deep, dark voice again. That was, that was crazy. Deep, dark <laughs> sins. <laughs> I can't. Ben can do, like, a tone look. <laughs> Dude, Ben's Ben Ben's got it. Ben's yeah. got it. Um, yeah, that that yeah. I'm I'm glad you brought that up uh, because there is there is a conversation to be had, especially when you're attempting to transform and renew your mind about. Um, well, I did this thing so I could never be forgiven. Um, the the fact of the matter is, I love Paul because Paul like, killed people and then ended up writing. You know, sixty-six percent of the New Testament. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pumped that you know, most of the people who are listening to this. I'm not guaranteeing all of the people that are listening to this, but at least most of them have never killed someone. And so, you know, if you put a hierarchy on sin, you say, well, at least I never killed anybody. You know, mm-hmm. that seems to be the big one. You know, if you can't, if you haven't done that, then I feel like you know, God can use somebody who was, you know, massacring, you know, people. Uh, I think He can probably use you too. Uh, but the hierarchy of sin is, um, boy, that's dangerous, isn't it? I mean, be, because re- really and truly we can talk about a lot of things, and I've heard it preached behind the pulpit about certain things. They'll do whole sermons sometimes, some churches will, about, well, you know, oh, I mean, even in our area, how many times have we talked about a fact that, that, that a casino is coming in and the evils of gambling, but at the same time, um, well, we've got a buffet that's open and gluttony is listed, <laughs> you know? I mean, so... Which one is which? Which one is worse? Which one is bad? I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, listen, I mean, if you were listening to this, the, the, the fact is is you still got worth no matter what it is that you've done. And I hope, I hope, if nothing else, you hear that part. We're not throwing the fat people out of church. I, I'm one not, of them. Not yet. <laughs> not, not yet. yet. Uh-uh. <laughs> My chair is crying now. Yeah, I'm pretty, th- I'm pretty thankful. We're working on it. And, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned Paul and uh, – I'm always struck by the fact that so we'll get into sometimes we'll get in these little debates in groups around science and what science currently currently believes about the mind, right? And uh, I I believe that science would argue that um, your thoughts lead to your actions, lead to outcomes, right? Except we've got this movement that's contradictory to science, where we believe that if we're a Christian and we think scientifically that there's some type of friction that should exist there. Am I right? Oh, yeah. and It shouldn't, but you're right. It shouldn't, and Paul was one of the first guys, so obviously he was an angel, and he was also conflicted because he's one of the first fellows that started out and saying, I know what to do, but I don't do it. But I don't do it. And not only that, I don't just feel guilty about eating the donut after I ate it. You know what I mean? But then I go back for another donut after I felt bad about eating the first donut. So Paul was quick to say that. And, you know, later on he says, hey, take this thorn from me. And we don't know what that was. Personally, it was donuts. Personally, I think it was some thoughts that he had. Now, I don't know what the thoughts were or who they were of or what he was thinking. But he had thoughts in his head. That's what I think his thorn was. That's me. I think he said, Lord, would you please take these thoughts from me? And he just used the word thorn. So with these questions and, and, and these different topics that we're talking about, by the way, if you've got questions, you can text the number that's listed in the description. With all of these things, uh, the question now becomes, well, what do we do about them? Hmm. 
what 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 do we do? I mean, we've got fear. We've all missed the mark. We've all done something we're not necessarily proud of. There's all these different things. There's all the we've all blank and we all feel blank. So what do we do? Not everybody at once again. <laughs> no, I think I think you have to start, and, and this is why value is so important, because if you don't understand your value, it's easy to just give in and believe those thoughts in your mind. But the value of something is determined by what someone's willing to pay for it, as we've learned in the real estate market, right? Like there are houses that two years ago weren't as valuable as they are today, and what makes them as valuable as they are the price that someone was willing to pay. And what's so sad about the perception that people have about God and about church and about Christianity is God proved your value when he sent his son to die for, for you. For me, it says that you weren't redeemed with, with silly things like, like gold and, and silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus. And so you have to understand your value. You have to understand that you were created in the image of God to be like God, and that's who you are. That's who you were created to be. And so wherever you are today, you have to recognize that there's going to be some conflicting battles in your mind versus who you were created to be and where you are. And Jesus said this really amazing thing in Matthew chapter 6. He said that your eye is like this lamp that provides light to your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. And here's what he's saying. When you see things correctly, you can be full of light. You can be full of life. You can be full of hope. You can be full of peace. You can be full of joy. But when your eyes don't see correctly, even the things you see that are good can still bring darkness. And we've all been in that place where, where somebody said something that meant to be a compliment and we took it wrong, where somebody was trying to help us and we took it wrong, where we thought somebody was trying to do bad. Why? Because there's this unhealthy perception of ourselves. There's this way of thinking and way of seeing that we see ourselves. And so we have to recognize that when our eyes aren't healthy, that even good things that happen, we will see incorrectly. And those, those places are called strongholds, right? The, the biblical word for that in, sci- in the uh, psychological world, I don't know what those things are called, but, but biblically they're called strongholds, which are wrong ways of seeing, perceiving, thinking. And, and so we have to begin to address the stronghold, but the stronghold comes back to versus who we actually are. We have to understand our value. We have to understand that as the baseline because that's what's true about us. I, I think you said how do how do you begin to solve the problem, and uh, Eddie talked about the eye and and uh, so here's the story I'd give you. Um, quit looking at the problem, for starters. Okay, identify the problem, and uh, you guys. So you've you've have you taught kids how to ride a bicycle before, Eddie? <laughs> of course, yep. you have. yes, or, I have. Or, or, or right, right. If you haven't taught a child how to ride a bicycle, you probably learned or you watched it on television or one of the free. But so you're 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 teaching Amy right how to ride a bicycle, and you give her that last long push, and she takes off, and she's wobbling back and forth on the handlebars, and she's doing really good, and you're really excited. And what does Amy intuitively do now that she's doing really well? Look behind you. She looks back to yep. see if you're watching, and the moment she takes her eyes off the road, she crashes. Okay, because the the, the body goes where the eyes go. The thoughts go where the eyes go. Jesus said, keep your eyes on me. We know what happened to Peter when he didn't, right? He began to sink. And uh, I like to ride motorcycles. And one of the things I always tell people is don't look at the pothole. So identify the pothole. The pothole represents the problem that's in your life. But don't stare at it. Instead, as soon as you see the pothole, you look for what? 
the solution, the way around it, and then the motorcycle travels where the eyes go, which is around. And so once you've identified the problem of stronghold, like Eddie said, begin to look for what solutions could possibly be and focus your mind on that instead of every day staring at the problem. That, let me be the advocate for the people screaming at their radios right now, okay? That sounds good. In fact, it sounds great. The problem, I should just not look at it. I should identify it, and then I should focus on the good things. Thank you. That's enlightening, except for the fact you have no idea what I'm going through right now. You have no idea how far I'm sinking. You don't know the thoughts that I had. You don't know the fear that I have. You don't know that last night I was in such a deep, dark depression that I wanted to, that I wanted to put the steel to my head. You know, you, okay, I'll take your advice. I'll stop looking at the problem. Now, that sounds cynical, but I, I say it that way because I have felt that way. And I know that if I felt that way, there have been lots of people who have felt that way. So when you say, hey, you need to stop looking at it. So how do we actually stop doing that? The process of, hey, we need to, we need to look at it from this angle. It's not, it's not just a cut and dry. Okay, well, I'm going to shift my eyes over here now. There's, there's, there's a process, right? I, th I think that, okay, so when you tell kid not to, do, not to touch the stove, they're going to push mm -hmm. that hand over there, right? Like, or you tell somebody not to do something, they're going to want to do it more. Um, I think that if we can be an observer of our thoughts instead of identifying with them and be able to almost have a meta view of what you're thinking and not see it as a negative thing, it's like I think thoughts are stories we make up, right? We're, I mean, we're literally making up a story or we're editing a story that we was already created, right? So you're either thinking in the past or the future. Um, and so if you can observe that and not have a judgment about it, this is kind of what meditation is, um, if you ever get into that. Um, so you're able to look at the thought and not have a negative association to it and just say it is what it is and then just let it flow like a, like a brook coming over a rock. Like hey, you, you got on me go. about my answer? Did you hear that? <laughs> well, <laughs> let me say this, It's though. really I hard think, to do. It, it is hard to do. It's and, a and practice. It is a practice. And, okay, and here's like a why. Brook. <laughs> and here's why it's hard to do. Because, because our minds all have these neural pathways that we've formed over time. Yes. And so the truth was is that we didn't always sink into depression. We trained ourselves to get there. And I'm not talking about the medical chemical imbalances that can, that can happen. I'm talking about how we as people train ourselves to, to think certain ways. Because the truth is, when we start getting over anxious, when we start getting over worried, there are things that happens mentally. And, and though the, the more you think a thought and the more you think a type of thought, the easier it is to continue to think that thought. And if you think about it, it's like, uh, it's like a dog in a yard, right? When a dog takes a path in a yard, the more he takes the path, the more worn the path is, the more the dog takes the path. It's the same thing with our thoughts in our mind. And so when we begin getting negative, it creates a way that we handle situations. And the more we do it, the easier it is, it is, it, the easier it is to do. And so when you say, well, you know what, it sounds, it sounds so simple to, to say, hey, man, you got to think about something different. Well, the truth is it isn't simple, right, or it isn't easy. It's hard because we've spent years developing that pathway in our mind. We've spent years handling the, the battles, and we've spent years handling the, the news that we got. And we've spent years handling the fights and we've spent years handling the parenting conflicts and we've spent years handling our financial struggles. 
we've spent years thinking about those things and, and allowing our brain to form these neural pathways, which is why this, this principle that God gives us and what we're going to talk about is how do we renew our mind. There's, there's this scripture that says, don't conform to the pattern of the world. Don't keep going the way the world's going. Don't keep going the way you're going, but be transformed. And this is the transforming power of God. He says, I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, here's what's really cool about that. Jesus, Jesus is the one, scripture is the one who's kind of, who's kind of bringing that to light. Okay. Scripture is what's bringing that to light. And yet science would completely agree. Uh, other religions would agree, right? You've got to renew your mind. You've got to look at things from this other perspective. You've got to see things from this different angle. But the reality is, how do we transform our mind? How do we create these new neural pathways? How do we do these things? And that's that's kind of what we need to think about and talk about. One of the things that Amy did that no one could see who's listening is when she was talking about um, exploring her thoughts, and I forgot how you said it, something about metaphysical, and she put her hand to her head, and she kind of pulled from her brain, like she was pulling a thought out and putting it in front of her so she could look at it. And uh, I think some of the times the first thing we have to do is just identify it. So, And you said scripture can help us with that. You know, you can't see pride in the mirror. You can't see judgment in the mirror. Um, but other people can see it in you. So sometimes having a, having a family group or having a connection group or having people that you hang out with that will hold you accountable, that can help you, that when you, you know, sometimes it's the other person that's always at fault. And then you get a third person in and they say, you know, you own a little piece of this as well. So it's just bringing someone in who can help. I think that's probably why Amy's successful as a counselor because other people recognize the need to have their thoughts pulled from their head. So first it can be identified before you can even start to work on it. So that's what I was talking about. I said, you got you to know where the pothole's at, and then you got to build a plan to start to think about, I do want to fix this. So you have to want to, Drew. Two of my uh, favorite uh, messages that I ever heard, came from, one came from Eric Dickerson, one came from my brother Zach, and they both said the same thing. They said, think about what you're thinking about. It's quite literally taking a thought inventory, and if you're really, really honest with yourself, and that's very difficult to do because the easiest person to lie to is you. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you are honest with yourself about your thought audit and your thought inventory and say, hey, these are the things that I'm focusing on. These are the things that I look at. And this is the angle that I see things from. Um, I think it's a little easier to start to start making your brook happen. However, you worded that your flowy little brook thing, Amy Smith, LEC, mainly because I don't think. When I say to, if you were to say to me, Aaron, hey, Drew, how's your, how's your thought process? And me as a person, I would probably just say, oh, I'm, I'm a pretty positive guy. Mm-hmm. But if I'm very honest with myself and I say, okay, well, this is what I think about during the day and I were to write it down, and that streamline of thought processes that, that go through my head, I might realize that I'm not quite the positive person that I thought I was, or I'm not thinking as positively as I should be, or maybe not even looking through the lens. So perhaps the first real thing, like you were talking about, you know, and again, I'm going to do the thing she did. You can't see me doing it. I'm going to take the thought out of my head and look at it and say, okay, this is what I'm thinking. Why, why am I thinking, why am I thinking this? What's the reason for this thought right now? And being aware of the context you're in. The context is such a huge thing because you can think something being in at home and then being in a totally different environment and you're not going to have that thought or you're going to think differently. And so context has so much to do with 
how we feel and how we think. So a toxic environment could potentially affect the way that we think? Yeah. Or even the state you're in. I mean, if you're stressed and you haven't had any sleep, and, I mean, you're going to be a lot more upset at that driver in front of you than you would if you were rested and having a good day, you know. I think all those things are true, um, and, and I think they're important to consider, but I love I love what you were talking about, about taking a thought inventory. And, and here's, here's a great just – Man, you, maybe you're in your car, maybe you're somewhere, you're, you're doing whatever. And here, here's the question I want to ask you, because which way does your brain function, right? Which pathways have you developed more? So when you immediately encounter circumstances that are unexpected, do you go to worry or do you go to peace? Do you immediately begin to think about what's bad is going to happen or do you immediately begin to think about what good can come from it, right? Do you go positive or do you go negative? Do you see the negative side of the things that you're experiencing or do you see the positive side of the things you're experiencing? And and what that does is it begins to help you understand because part of the question is, man, I got to understand where I'm at. Where is my mind? Where is my mental, you know, function going? And and here's why it's important because most of us try to wait until we're really sick to make a difference. Most of us try to wait until the marriage is completely decimated before we go to counseling. Most of us try to go wait until we're in the middle of a deep depression to start dealing with our mental mindset. Maybe the time to try to deal with it isn't in that moment. Maybe the time to try to really find health mentally is when you're in a good place, when you're in an okay place, when you're not tired, when you're not stressed, when you're not overworked. Man, if you can try to deal with and understand your strongholds in that moment, versus your deepest, darkest moment, it's it's a completely different way to deal with it. If you go to the doctor and he says, hey, man, you've got some symptoms of some heart things that are going to happen and you could do some things to help it. Well, you know what? The, the, the treatment plan is a lot different if you're in the ER because you've just had a heart attack or kidney failure. You know, it, it, it's completely... That felt like a shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely different. And it's the same thing mentally. If we can right now start saying, okay... What's going on in my mind? And understand something. God's plan for you is a peaceful mind. God's plan for you is an abundant life, full of joy, full of peace, full of hope. And so how do we get there? Well, we've got to recognize these strongholds. There's wrong ways of seeing, wrong ways of thinking, wrong ways of believing. Sometimes it's that we're not enough. Sometimes it's that we've made too many mistakes. Sometimes it's that God's not enough. We believe God's not enough. God can't fix it. God can't do it. Whatever those wrong ways of thinking are, those strongholds, we have to figure out how to begin to create some different neural pathways to see those things. You're, you're talking about going to the hospital and thinking about how we want to treat our, our mental anguishes like we do our bodies, like we want them to get fixed instantly. <laughs> and uh, we, you know, our, our, our lives, our relationships, yep. our careers, they all succeed or fail just gradually, 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 and suddenly right so you you know you didn't get you didn't get fat and in the hospital with a heart attack because it happened yesterday no you ate donuts every day for the last 10 years and now all of a sudden you find yourself where you're at and so all of a sudden now you want an instant solution to get healthy and we think it's the same thing with our minds i've been over here giggling i'm thinking about bob newhart have you guys seen this guy (laughs) it's it's the whole show but it's hilarious and if you've never seen the skit stop it you got to watch it the lady walks into her psychiatrist's office and she she tells him about this problem that she has and he says i can solve it quickly stop it okay that's his solution stop it she just goes through all these different things and he says stop it i'm afraid i'm gonna get locked in a box stop it right and it's hilarious because that's his only solution 
that's what we want. We just want this quick fix. And, oh. and, and what we got to realize is we have to start with the small, small disciplines. Um, Jocko uh, Willinke, is that the guy's Willick? name? Willick. 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 Um, yeah, he said discipline equals freedom, which meant take little small steps every day and fix something small and get disciplined about it and then continue to work on it because you're not going to fix you in a minute if it took a lifetime to get to where you're at today. So I'm sure the counseling sessions that you offer, Amy LAC, are not just like a one and done. Like, you can come in for 15 minutes, we'll get you fixed. Um, probably takes more than that. I wouldn't uh, be able to support my family <laughs> if that was the case. <laughs> There's also something, too, that I think is that is interesting. And I'll, I'll bring up an example because I was just sitting here thinking about it. You know, we, we think about this in, in totality, and, and really there's a little more nuance to it than that. Um, you may be afraid in one area of your life and completely confident in another area of your life. This is a, bru- this is a, a, a case in point that's perfect to, to show you an example here. It's a little personal, but I'll give it to you. Okay, so last year, my wife goes through an unbelievable health scare, right? She has a spinal stroke, for those who are listening. The night... Or the the night that we found out was not a great faith night. The day after, though, we made the conscious decision to say, okay, no matter what we say, no matter what we do when we update people, we are going to consistently talk about how good God is, no matter what. And we even developed this this phrase. It's probably more of a coping mechanism than anything, which was it may not be good, but it will be okay. And through so one of the scariest times of our life and definitely in our marriage where we thought we might lose her, um, there was complete peace, complete peace. I never really truly believed that this was not going to be okay. I had to consider it, but I never truly believed that it wasn't going to be okay. Now, on the flip side of that, on the flip side of that, after she gets healed and after she gets, she gets, she gets um, better, we're still walking through some rehab and stuff, but after she survives, this is what's crazy. I never doubted for a minute that God was going to take care of my wife. Never doubted it. There's always peace there. But then the hospital bill comes in. You look at the hospital bill and you go, well, we are completely and totally screwed forever. Now, this is what's interesting and a point that I want to make. Fear is not all-encompassing. It can be, but it can show you where your vulnerabilities are. I had no problem believing that God was going to take care of my wife but I 100% have a problem believing that God's going to help take care of these things, the aftermath. And I love that. I love that you're saying that because the reality is that, you know, that means that that's where your stronghold is showing, right? Like we all have places where our stronghold shows. Um, You know, I can walk in my home and I can stand firm, but I go to work and I think completely differently. I can stand in front of this group of people and I feel confident, but I stand over here and, and there's this thing that makes me fall apart. It's those are the places that reveal our strongholds. And this is what's important for you guys that are out there. Man, you're struggling with this mental battle. You're struggling with this mental war. Number one, I love what Aaron said. Hey, you're not alone. Like that thing that you deal with, those places that you've missed the mark, those decisions that you've made. Those don't make you bad. You're just as valuable to God. Scripture says that it was while we were sinners that he came and died for us. And I think that was important because we think we have to get good enough to be worth God. And God said it's at the place where you don't think you're good enough, where you're completely missing the mark, that I'm going to come and die because I don't want you to think that your value is in how good you do. I don't want a performance-based relationship with you. I want a relationship based on who I created you to be. 
And it's important. It's important that you know that the strongholds, the wrong ways of seeing and thinking, God wants to de- God wants to demolish those. In fact, one of the things that Paul and and you know what, maybe the thorn he dealt with was his thoughts, because he talked a lot about how to win the battles in our mind. And and in Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse three through five, and he pause it if you need to write that down. He says, though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, divine power. That means that God is in it with you. You're not alone in trying to get rid of the strongholds and the battles and the ways of thinking and the fears and the feelings of you're not enough and the feelings of you've messed it up too bad. You're not alone in that battle. God wants to give you divine power to demolish those strongholds. And he gives us some keys. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. He says we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so he's giving us kind of this formula of how to begin to demolish those strongholds. And it deals with how we deal with the arguments, how we deal with our thoughts, how we deal with the, the things that come in and, and, and out of our life. And, and I think that's really important. One of the things that you said that struck me, how many times did you say, you woke up the next day and you said, we're going to say something positive. And what was it that you said? Uh, the the God, little phrase. God's got this. It, it may not be good, but it's going to be okay. Yeah, and how many times did you say that? Thousands. Yeah, because it takes practice, and uh, and Paul also talks about that. He says, put them into practice, and uh, because we we've, we've got to re- realize that we've put into practice speaking some of these negativities into us since we were little. For some of us, I know my thorns thirty some years old, and uh, I've told myself that for thirty years. I told myself that lie, so I'm not going to unlie it in my mind just overnight. Um, I have to meditate. <laughs> Amy, you get a point for that one. Um, I have to meditate on that, which means I have to fix my thoughts on that and practice daily in every conversation. It's just like if I want to change the shape of my body, like I want to change the shape of my mind, I have to work every day at it. And just because I have a, ba- a day when I fall down and I go back and I, I'm feeling bad about myself, just like the day, you know, yesterday, the other night I was sitting there by myself eating a bowl of ice cream saying to myself, why am I eating this ice cream? Like I told myself I wasn't going to do this anymore. And then I woke up the next day and said, okay, today's a new day. No more ice cream today. I'll start again today. It's practice, practice, practice. And Paul talks about it. You know, I like what you said, Aaron, when we were walking in here. We were talking about uh, taking on new things. And you said, if, well, if I take on something new, then I make sure I, I let go of something else so that I maintain that balance, right? Um, what, what I like to tell a lot of my clients um, and especially struggle with not like hardcore addictions because that, that's a, a process, but um, things that are, I guess, what you would call strongholds. Um, instead of focusing on taking something away and removing it, you add new things. And as you add those new things, that old thing is there's not going to be room for it anymore. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so in thinking with thoughts, you can kind of put that in the same category. If you bring in new positive affirming thoughts, then that negative one is just going to, there's not going to be space for it anymore. And I think that's really important um, because you don't want that negative to stay in there. And that's where meditation comes in. Meditation is allowing some thoughts to leave. And then, and then I know there's some, uh, some meditations that the whole goal is this emptiness, just get everything out. But the reality is for, for biblical meditation, it isn't just about what you're getting out. It's about what you're putting back in. 
And so that's actually another place where Paul began to speak. And, and this is what he said. He said, listen, you got to fix your thoughts. He told us to fix our thoughts on, on, on certain things. He said, now in Philippians 4, 8, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true, true. what is honorable, honorable, what is right, yeah. what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Why? Because we've got to create these new neural pathways. And put them in practice. And we have that's to put them. That's what he says next. We put them in practice. That's it. And, and, and so the practice. reality is it isn't just, if, if you let your brain just go, you let your mind wander, it's going to drift back to the path that it's used to. So you have to intentionally meditate, remove those thoughts by fixing your mind on these other things, put it into practice, and it's training. It's training. It's like any workout, and we don't see it that way. We think about training dogs and and and, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, kids yeah. And, and wives. Think about training our, husbands, right? Yeah. But we yeah. don't think about training our minds. We have to train our minds how to think about what's, and he tells us what's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent, things that are worthy of praise. Why? Because if you put that in over and over and over, there's not room for the other things, and eventually you start creating some new neural pathways, and you begin to see life differently. You know why a lot of people wake up in the morning worried? Because they went to bed that night worried. That's exactly right. So there's a reason why you don't let your kids watch scary movies before they go to bed. What is it? Because they'll have nightmares, and we've, we've talked about this. So you don't let them watch scary movies before they go to bed, or they'll have nightmares. And what that tells us is that we dream about what we think about before we go to bed. And so if you want to time when to start this, if you're saying to yourself, when do I start this? Like, how do I do that? Well, a good time to meditate or to think about who you want to become and what you want to speak into yourself is before you go to sleep at night. Ponder it. You'll dream about it. You'll wake up the next morning. You'll feel a little bit more positive. There's also a philosopher who said that um, if you want to know the, about the thing that matters most to you, let your mind wander before you go to sleep. And the last thought you think before you go to sleep is the thing you care the most about. And whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. But it is interesting that if you let your mind wander and it goes to one place, you can pretty well figure out which neural pathways you forged. Whether it's a worry about finances, whether it's uh, um, thoughts about pretty much anything, you can figure out pretty much where your brain goes. And yes. those, those are the things that are most important to you. That term, there's freedom and discipline, comes into, into play in times like that. Because when you discipline yourself to go through a, a routine, I go through a routine before I go to bed. Every single night, I stop, I sleep. I mean, I close my eyes before I go to sleep, and I think about the exact same thing. So I know you guys have probably heard memory techniques where you, know, you, you learn different rooms in a house, and you place different things on different objects throughout the house. And that's how people remember like 10,000 spots in the in the number pi and it's crazy like how could they how could they how, how big is their house you know what i mean like how do they do that and for me it's it's me walking up my driveway towards my house and there's different points along the way that represent different things that i think about so that i intentionally have a pathway to fall asleep that i'm thinking myself towards this positive destination it's a destination that i'm thinking about it's it's not where i'm at in that moment it's who i want to become and that's the I'm keeping the end in sight, and so the actions that I'm taking along the way guide me to who I want to be. I love that. I love that, and 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 it is a practice. And here's what's so cool is when your mind drifts, you know, what you do in that moment becomes really important because your mind drifts to this thing that's valuable or your mind is getting ready to go to sleep, and it's wherever it is. 
And you have a decision in that moment to let your mind go or to intentionally begin to put some things there to, to help it. And that's where you, you fix your thoughts. And so this is where um, uh, having these statements that you speak, having these things that, you know, whatever sayings it is or, or meditations or, or um, uh, I can't even think of what they're called, but, but the statements that you make like over. Like a mantra? Like a mantra or, yeah, something that you say over yourself becomes so powerful because you begin to speak that truth to the lie. And here's, here's one thing that it's biblical that it says in scripture, but it's just, it's just, man, it's just true. It says that faith comes by hearing. The truth is the thing that you listen to that you hear over and over and over and over and over and over and over is what you will begin to believe. And so you get to decide what you hear over and over and over and over and over. And if you'll begin to speak truth to, and that doesn't mean, and this is a big deal because I, there are, a lot of, there are a lot of faith that would say, man, if you ever say something negative, then, then you, you don't have faith. Well, that doesn't mean you have to deny reality. So maybe your, your marriage is in trouble and your mind begins to drift and you begin to think, man, my marriage is in trouble. You don't have to deny that, but you can say, you know, Father, my marriage isn't where I want it to be, but I thank you that you're going to help me find a way through. I thank you that you're going to give me the tools to begin to walk this out. Father, I thank you that, that this person did these things to me, but they don't get to define who I am. And you say that I am enough. And you say that you love me. And you say you forgive me. You know, everyone may not forgive me, but God, I thank you. You forgive me and you hold my future. You hold my tomorrow. And you can begin to speak that truth to those lies, to that stronghold, God, you've got my future, you've got my life, you've got my child, and you can begin to build your faith and create new pathways of thinking where you begin to think the positive, trust the positive, see the positive of what God's doing and how God's working. I think that's, when I went back to like that our thoughts are stories that we make up, I think that's mm-hmm. a great example. Like you can make up a story that's like a story nobody wants to read because <laughs> that's <laughs> <just> like <laughs> a depressing story. Right. <laughs> or you can or you can write something that's very inspiring that's going to have a happy ending and really you have p- the power. I mean, we kind of think that we're under the control of our thoughts, but really you have that power to decide that what that thought's going to be. You know, that's a power. We are under the control of our thoughts and we control our thoughts. So if you'll control your thoughts on the front end, what you receive on the back end is a whole lot better than if you don't control your thoughts because ultimately you become what you think, right? So yeah, yeah. If, if you ever woke up in the middle of the night if you had a nightmare and you were scared, has that ever happened to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Drew? Never. So t- <laughs> <laughs> You know what? We're going to put a mouse in his room <laughs> this tonight. No, think, ever do think, that to Think me. about this for a moment, okay? You're, the nightmare was in your brain, and when you woke up scared, you scared you. Mm. Okay? You scared you. Nothing else scared you. Wow. You did. Okay? That's the power of your own thoughts going wow. on. And in the moment that happens, if you can harness them and say, what am I scared of? Wait a minute. You're, why are you scaring that. you? Like, quit scaring yourself, Aaron. That was silly. And go back <laughs> to sleep peaceful. That happens every time I'm in the church alone at night. <laughs> oh, churches are scary. I, I scare me. I scare churches, me. Because yeah, I know I, I hear look, stuff. There should be lighting on at all time in all <laughs> churches. No question about that. And I think that's an excellent stopping point um, for our discussion. We're about an hour in. Remember, if you've got questions, you can always text them at the number that's listed in the description. Guys, as is customary, we're going to try to sum this up in 15 seconds apiece or less. Today, Amy Smith, LAC, we've not started with you yet, so we'll start with you. 15 seconds, what do, what do we get from today? 
Um, don't judge your thoughts. I, I really, I feel strongly about that. Let Just let it be a thought. Let it roll and just go with it. Aaron Garlow. I, I told myself a lie a long time ago that if I ever had relationships, it didn't matter because those people would just leave anyway. And so every night I walk up that driveway and I see a rock on the ground and it reminds me that that's Jesus and he's never going anywhere. And I see plants and it tells me that I can grow new life. And I see the gravel and it reminds me that it's going to be rough sometimes. And I see that house on the hill and it reminds me that heaven awaits. Wow. Every night. That was beautiful. Like That was legitimately beautiful. Thanks Thank you for that. Tears. A little bit. Yeah. No, <laughs> genuinely, man. I'm like, <laughs> I just want to. Uh, wow. Well, when like, you think about something every night. That's that's wow. powerful, man. I think I think for me. I want to think like that. Yeah, no kidding. No yeah. kidding. Um, I think for me, summarize, we all have strongholds. We all have wrong ways of seeing, thinking, believing about ourselves. And find your value in who God says you are. Know that he is giving you divine power to break those things. But you have to partner with God by fixing your thoughts and training your mind, renewing it so that you can begin to see yourself the way God sees you instead of what everybody about you, around you says. That's a great way to end this one. Next week, Eddie, we've got, uh, we've got lots of great things to talk about coming down the pipe. What do we got going on next week? Man, I'm really pumped about this one. Um, it was a great question. It was a conversation that we had. Someone texted our phone line, and, 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 our, and so I was able to kind of have a conversation. But the question they ask is, how do I distinguish the difference between showing the love of God and enabling someone and compromising my own boundaries? And so it's just a really great practical question when it comes to faith because we're all taught you want to love, but yeah, sometimes, yeah. So it's it, I think it'll be a great conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation with you guys and kind of see where you guys are at. I could get edgy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a little concerned about that one, but I'll rework my thinking, and by the time this thing rolls around <laughs> next week, I'll be excited too. Positivity, baby. Exactly. We hope everyone enjoyed this. If you've got uh, questions, you can text the number that's in the description. As always, we love you. We're praying for you. We'll see you next week.